Um, <laughs> welcome to Oops All Monsters, a deadly, unserious show about creatures, cryptids, and curiosities curated by two weirdos from wild and wonderful West Virginia. That weirdo with me, when I can lure him out of his nest of newspapers, is Gavin. That's right, I'm Gavin, and this weirdo with me is Hess for a, for a third time. I don't know if we're going to be counting these, though. Uh, well, we may, I don't know, depending on whether we keep the first episode or whether it gets banked as some kind of, like, Patreon exclusive. This may, right. this may only be episode two, so. Well, if like, you, like all if, things, time if is you, irrelevant. If you, the viewer, are confused by that, oh well. Um, yeah. but, uh, at any rate, we are here to, uh, as we always are, delight and edify you with tales of mysterious monsters from mythology film, literature, TV, and gaming, both in boxes and on tables and in consoles. Uh, and each week, we, each of us, brings a monster into the shop, unknown to the other at the beginning of the episode, and then we present and discuss what we brought for the edification of you, as well as the other host. Um, which, in this particular case, reminds me, I have a note here, that we have not di- we have not discussed for the audience the parameters of what is and is not a monster. Um, yeah, <laughs> and we have not extensively discussed that even between the two of us. So yeah. I think that might be a little a not a, a, a kind of a good sidebar for us to do in episode two or three or whatever this ends up being. Um, can it? Do you have a, th- a starting theory? Because I have a line that I've cut co- an example of a line that I've come up with in terms of like what is and is not. But if you have a thought, I'd rather hear yours first. Uh, no, I've I've lost it. It is a loose cannon in my mind what the concept <laughs> is like. Um, okay. Like as evident today in my example, you'll find out since. No, okay. Okay. <laughs> well, my oh, I'll tell you where one of my lines is. This is the line that I've been using. Um, in, in my head, which is that we would do Freddy Krueger and Jason Voorhees, yeah. but we would not do Leatherface. And let me explain why. Well, he's not a monster. He's, he's not a monster. He's just yeah. a guy with some strange mental impairments in a fucked up situation, and he's not magical. You know yeah. what I mean? Jason and Freddy are magical because Jason is invulnerable or can be resurrected indefinitely. You know, yeah. that, that 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 the black guy in the coroner's office and Jason goes to hell can eat his liver and turn into the new Jason. You know, he's objectively yeah. uh, monstrous. You know, Michael Myers is, is like a force of nature. He's not a person. You can shoot him six times and he comes back because he's not he's like a he's like a venge he's like a vengeance revenant. Or something. Yeah. Whereas Leatherface, as scary as he is, he's just a dude who is in a yeah. weird, fucked up situation, um, and, and is quasi like, quasi verbal, and is really good him, with cutting. And you can tools. hurt his feelings, even. Yeah, yeah. You can make him feel bad. You can cut <laughs> off parts of him. If you stab yeah. him, he bleeds, and if you kill him, he dies. Now there may yeah. be some. There may be some like white zombie. I mean, like Rob Zombie-like versions of of Leatherface that that are like branching off to the, into the, think, ma- into the magical. Rob Rob Zombie kind of made him Looney Tunish too, where like okay. his feelings get hurt. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't mess. <laughs> I don't mess with that bullshit. But the point is, um, he's not. He's not magic. He's yeah. not. He's not a werewolf. He's just <laughs> some guy. 
So as much as I love, I'm a huge original Texas Chainsaw fan, but I, I would not cover, cover Leatherface. Uh, with that being said, I kind of feel like, and I think this policy will probably develop as the show goes on, but I think it, one of the rules, one of the um, Halloween season, like Octobery rules, will be like the, anything goes. Like yeah. anything, anything could be a monster in October. I think maybe is going to be the maybe will be the the rule. Anything could be a monster in October. Um, also, so if you, I, do, I don't think that it's limited to movies. So. <laughs> Like at all? No, no. Like the like my script, like my script says, I've done some that are, you know, uh, some of my right now. I'm leaning a little bit cinematic because yeah, you know, they give you a lot of stuff to work with. Um, yeah. If it's in TVs and movies, but I'm not going to be doing cinematic all the time. I'm going to be doing you know, literary stuff. I mean, you know, we can do the Frankenstein's monster. Yeah, the, and I, uh, I won't be doing weird outside concepts all the time either. <laughs> yeah, right. So we're going to be covering the gamut. We're going to do cryptids. Um, you know, my, uh, my, my partner was, was asking me, so is this a cryptid show, or are you guys going to do cryptids? I'm like, it's not a cryptid show, but we're going to do cryptids. Um, but if we did just yeah. cryptids, we'd run through it, the list, so fast. Um, but I'm planning to I'm planning to do cryptids. I'm planning, planning to do things that are literary. Um, uh, cover things from video games, TV. I'm I don't know if there's any media that I'm like not like that I'm avoiding in terms of if it's got. Um, if it has created an interesting monster, let's talk about that monster, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, video games, I think a lot of them, they're weak because their video games are, your monsters a lot of times are just avatars and they're not very complicated and there's not a lot there. You know what I mean? So, uh, it might be the, it might be the case that instead of just doing like the imp from doom, you know, as a subject, you know, you covered like all imps. Another way to yeah. do that might be like all of the baddies from Duke Nukem or something. Yeah. You know, I, I think that would be an appropriate like episode. Uh, so, but because there's not necessarily a lot narratively there, if you pick one video game monster, except for some yeah. rare exceptions, you know, we could do what's the that cyber guy? Cat man. Oh, yeah, right. What's the guy with the, the big sword in silent Hill and the weird hat? Triangle head? Yeah, triangle head. Like, triangle head, he might be worthy of a whole episode, right? Because that shit's fucking nightmarish. You know, I can think of some other bosses from games to be like, okay, I could could make that a subject of an episode. But otherwise, I think you kind of need a category, a subject that's got more, um, more marrow inside the bone. And it's not just like... A visual representation for like hit points and, yeah. and 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 pushing out damage to like a first person shooter. Yeah, like, which character. is what a lot of it is. Right. <laughs> so like we're we're not anti video game, but there's got to be enough yeah. there to um to make it compelling. So um, you know, I'm gonna lean cinematic because there's a, a lot of my. Uh, a lot of my original ideas for why I wanted to do the show are that way, but I'm I'm gonna have a personal rule that I think if I do two two things that are in film and TV in a row, I'm gonna have to go outside of that for the next the next episode. Um, so yeah. for at least for my stuff, and you know we may coordinate 
to some extent to at least ask each other like okay if you're going to do something from tv and film i'm going to do something that's just mythological or literary or gaming so that there's more um so there's more mix up but for now i think we just kind of like just keep moving around to different media and then not worry about it too much I don't know. That's that's my policy for right now, but Sounds my good. but my hard line is yes to yes to Jason Voorhees, no to Leatherface because mm-hmm. Leatherface is just a guy. That's that's what it comes down to. That makes sense to me. Well, with that said, um, before we uh, before we scare you off, let's get into the monsters. your imagining cap on Gavin if you will uh, you in imagine it's 1993 all right you, you work in a in insurance in Baltimore Maryland so you're all a right. full ass like adult you you wish the damn Orioles would get into the friggin playoffs you say you say the word ambulance weird because you're, you're originally from from Baltimore your name yeah. is Bill or Dan, and you ignore your hot wife because your job is so stressful. And tonight, that's what you're busy doing. You're locked in your personal office at your home, uh, door door locked and closed because your your children are monsters, and having <laughs> already thrown your trench coat with shoulder pads on the pla- the paisley couch, you're really digging into this spreadsheet full of all of your company's weekly. Business numbers, just bi- business numbers, business numbers, business, business numbers. numbers. You know, I, you know that gif of uh, what's her name from Black Books, where she's pretending to work with her fingers, like flying up and down on the keys. You know what I'm talking yes. about? Anyway, that business numbers, business numbers, and then you're you're, you're trolling through the business numbers, and wham! A small Midwestern man with yellow eyes and bangs is biting your fucking face. Oh my <laughs> God! Why is he so strong? How did he get in here? What about my business numbers? Sharon, call the white people police. Oh no, my liver. Um, that's right. I am I am bringing Eugene Victor Toombs today, who is one of my personal favorites. Gavin, do you know who I mean when I say Eugene Victor Toombs? Eugene Victor Toombs from X-Files? Yes, Eugene Victor Toombs <laughs> from yeah, season by one. That- Played by that actor that I like. He's like weird looking, and that's his thing. Yeah, uh, that that weird looking actor is a guy named Doug Hutchison, uh, <laughs> who has a strange career, probably because he is a strange fucking guy. No, no, I didn't say he was an alien. I said he was from another planet. His name is Luke Skywalker. He's what's known as a Jedi Knight. Um, we'll get into that more. We'll get into that more, uh, later. But anyway, um, Eugene Toombs. Awesome. Yeah. This was one of, (laughs) I think this is one of my top tens and I was like all, all week. Well, a lot of the week I, you know, I had three or so that were from my original five that I was like, okay, I want to do these five and, um, did the basilisk and did the stuff. And 
I was, you know, I was banging around different options, and I just was moving really slow. I was yeah. like, man, what's going to juice me up? And I'd be like, some, some fucking b- bendy, like Minneapolis weird yellow eyed dude is what yeah. I'm doing. Tombs will juice <laughs> he, me up. So He's got to eat three livers every hundred years. <laughs> well, correction. <laughs> Five livers every thirty years. Oh. But, but good, good guess, good guess, yeah. good guess, <laughs> yeah. good guess. Not bad. Do you have any idea what liver and onions go for in reticulum? Um. So for, okay. So like Zoomers and beyond, ostensibly are going to listen to this show at some point. So. Yeah. What is the X Files? I can't believe I'm having to explain this, but the X Files is a, was a very popular television show that started in 1993 and in one version or, no, version or another ran until uh, t- 2018, or at least the movies did. And it created two movies. It ran on Fox. It was like Friday night primetime viewing. Premiering in 1993, the show... Uh, X-Files follows the adventures of FBI agents Dana Scully and Fox Do You Think I'm Spooky Mulder as they track down the X-Files, a series of unexplainable cases, including subjects uh, ranging from aliens and monsters to the main (laughs) conspiracy theory uh, and other conspiracy theories about cloning, cancer, and JFK, and some of the worst shoulder pads in television history. It yeah, ran for a lot of shoulder pads. It ran for a lot of years, uh, but we don't count some of those years because uh, the T-1000 is not Fox Mulder. And yeah. uh, as much as I don't hate that guy, it's just not, it's just not the same thing. Yeah, anyway, it wasn't really. The character of Eugene Toombs, um, he appears in two episodes in the first season. Yeah. They're called... Uh, Squeeze is the first one. It is Squeeze. actually episode three of X-Files total. It is the third episode ever. And it is the one that introduced the format of doing a monster of the week as opposed to the show being centered around the greater conspiracy and whether there is or they ain't aliens. Yeah. Um, and after the inc- the massive success of this episode they decided to not just focus on the conspiracy episodes, but to intersperse them with Monster of the Week episodes, uh, which I'm glad for, because I'm much more of a Monster of the Week person. I don't really give a flying fuck, for the most part, about um, the conspiracy episodes and whether Mulder solves the, the, the mystery of what happened to his sister, Samantha. I don't really give a shit about Samantha. Yeah. Or, spoiler alert, her clones, or whatever yeah. the fuck. I don't get... Fuck Samantha. I hate Samantha. Um, <laughs> but... Um, so, Tombs was the original monster of the week. And yeah. um, he's really fascinating, but here you go. You're in a spoiler zone. The whole rest of this subject is going to be just, like, ruining season one in these, in these two episodes. So, um, uh, it starts out where we see this very fascinating uh, visual scene where something that we don't know what it is is having like POV shots out of this sewage grate kind of like Pennywise style looking out on the streets um, of this city during the day with all these business folks and their terrible trench coats walking by and (laughs) there's these lustful slow motion like heartbeat shots 
uh, bet- of just watching this random dude walk by in his trench coat, and then eventually we see that the thing that's looking out from the grate it has like these messed up yellow eyes, but it's relatively human shaped. And then we're like, "Bang! We're out of here in a commercial, and we're gonna come back." Like, what was all that about? And what we find out is it's this weird dude portrayed by um, Doug Hutchison, uh, who we will get into, um, who the, the case gets given to Dana Scully by actual, actually the, that weird looking actor dude, Donald Logue. Do you remember who I mean by Donald Logue? Yes. He was that MTV mascot guy. What was that MTV mascot guy's name? Oh, you can't be serious. Uh, Jimmy, the, Jimmy, the cab driver. Yeah, so Donald Logue, possibly most famous, at least for those of us who were only watching MTV in the 90s, uh, most famous for being Jimmy the Cab Driver, who was like a weird comedy gag mascot for the MTV channel uh, in the mid-90s. Donald Logue is playing this, like, up-and-coming FBI agent friend of Dana Scully, and they're having, like, brunch uh, outside of the FBI headquarters, and basically, it's to situate, to triangulate Donald Logue's character, who represents like total ambition and like lock, lockstep FBI spook politics of like doing what you're supposed to do and climbing the ladder and and, and wearing wingtips. And uh, he's a he's a total douchebag, which Donald Logue is like that's his main thing. You can't be serious. She's talking about defending Mulder because he's saying, "Oh, if you're going to be stuck in the X Files with spooky Mulder, it's going to ruin your whole career." Yada yada yada. So, so it it paints this picture of how um, Dana Scully. It, there's two directions. There's with Mulder and failure and being stuck in the basement all, for, for the rest of your life, or there's success with people like Donald Logue, where you get away from Mulder and stop stop talking about little green men. Do you think I'm spooky? You know, he says crass things like their friend. You know, he's shooting up the ladder because he was lucky to have stumbled into the um, the, the Oklahoma City bombing. Oklahoma, you know what I mean? Oklahoma City, yeah. Yeah, their, 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 their friend was lucky to have stumbled into the Oklahoma City bombing. And it so it portrays kind of like the awful civilized version of being kind of like an ambitious predator and... And and I, in my opinion, that kind of like juxtaposes really interestingly with what we end up getting out of Tombs, who is completely on uh, like the opposite level in terms of his his malevolence is like you know he's he consumes people literally. He hands this serial killer case over to Scully. He says, "I need help with this case," and and, and very quickly Mulder starts going through the case, and that it's actually a lot older of a case than. Um, then Donald Logue's character uh, thinks that it is, and of course, immediately Mulder comes up with this wild, harebrained um, theory that it matches these serial killing cases that happen every 30 years in the Baltimore area, um, and in every case, the liver is liver vanishes. It's a very bloody scene. And it's presumed that the the liver was like eaten or chewed right out of the right out of the victim. Sometimes they're men, sometimes they're women, but it's really nasty, and some the liver is consumed. Wild stuff. But these go all the way back to like the 30s. So how is that even possible? 
blah, blah, blah. And the gag of what Tombs does is there will be a tiny grate, like an air duct that's like, you know, 18, 20 inches wide, 6 inches tall, and then it'll do shots to imply that, you know, there's a monster in there watching this this person, um, like candid camera style, and then it'll show the screws being unscrewed from the air vent from the inside (laughs) and, like, silently, like, popping out and then it'll cut to oh my god i'm being being eaten by a mysterious force and blood splatter and uh, you know scene with scene with flashlights and fbi folks like dancing around the whole place a lot of flashlight scenes yeah so that's so that's the gag yeah like a couple a couple of the shots that end up being in the um in the intro to the show like visually including, like, newspaper clippings and them, like, going into his lair end up being in the intro of the show for the entirety of the run of the show. It's like, this This is, this is this episode is such, uh, so central to the DNA of what they do with the show from then on. Um, so, what they, what they end up finding out uh, and what ends up being shown is that Toombs is some kind, he's, he's, a, he's a mutant, or something, but he's like a humanoid creature that yeah, appears Fox to be appears to be human. Is genetically human, basically. Go ahead. Yeah, Fox found out that he has like three different uh, like unique diseases through his blood work. Huh. Like yeah, he's and got, yeah, and he yeah, like he, his condition makes him register as positive for like three different conflicting weird genetic diseases. Right. You know, he's yeah. he's dead, he's walking around, he's all fucked up. But, yeah. but more importantly, he's just he's a he's a weird dude, but you kind of can't he's but he seems to be a person. He seems to be a human being. He's not, yeah. you know, he's not half. He's not a dog man or something. Yeah. But um if Mulder's uh theory is to be true and 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 as is often the case in X-Files but not always, the the narrative that the show is feeding us the audience um, is that Mulder is probably correct, and that this guy's over a hundred years old, and and um, when they go and investigate through this very old detective who was um, working this case like fifty years ago, who's now in a wheelchair, the detective Briggs, he shows them a black and white photo of the same guy looking basically exactly the same, getting out of his like dog catching van in like the forties. So it's like a whammo blammo. It's, you know, it's not, it's not, it's, it's not his son. It's not his grandson. It's like, how oh, this guy's looked like he was 27 for 60 years. Kind of a thing. Like, well, uh, we'll explain that. Would you? And so theory, so Mulder breaks down like, okay, we've, you've got this genetic mutant and every 30 years he's on this cycle where he needs to consume Five livers, you know, five livers will thrill him, apparently, um, in order to complete whatever, like, nesting cycle he requires to survive. Yeah, he makes Um, a bile cocoon. (laughs) Yes, he makes makes a bile cocoon uh, from his own own, uh, saliva and regurgitation that's shown mostly in the second episode, in the episode Tombs is when that's really featured. Um, It is featured in both episodes, but they really make hay out of it in the second episode. Yeah, I've Um, I've thought about this episode often when vomiting from alcoholism 
it brings me back to these episodes. <laughs> yeah, and and I think it's bile. When they originally find Toombs's uh, newspaper and bile nest, they suddenly she said, you know, they're like uh, Mulder has like stuck his fingers on it and is like investigating the goo, and <laughs> uh, Scully does this really good read. Julian Anderson does this really good le- read of the lines. It smells like. Mulder, I think it's bile. And he yeah. and he says, very deadpan, he says, Is there any way I can get off my fingers quickly without betraying my cool exterior? <laughs> which is one of my which is one of the best like Mulder things in the show ever. It's so it's 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 uh 110% Mulder. It's very good. Um so you got this weird guy who makes bile cocoons for him to sleep for in his his long, long rests in. He stays in this very like freaky run-down old tenement building at 66 Exeter Street, which is a fake place. It doesn't really exist in Baltimore because if you made it a real place, you'd get sued by the people that would be like, oh my god, you're sending all these X-Bile nerds to my house. So it's not actually a real place. You can't go there. Every five years, he, 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 eats, he eats the livers of five people, and it appears to be totally at random. Um, but before I get ahead of myself about his process of eating the livers, I have to talk about as soon as they track down. They track Tombs down for the first time, and it's not just us seeing him, but it's 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 Mulder and Scully seeing him. Um, this guy, even when he's not doing anything shady, Doug Hutchison's portrayal of him is like electrically frightening. Yeah, which is um, which is really powerful because on a like on a by the numbers description he's an incredibly boring guy he's a sh- he's a short kind of like smaller framed white dude he kind of looks like Rick Moranis or some other kind of like like pleasant brown canadian person you know he's yeah. kind of sim- he's kind of symmetrical he's kind of got these weird big pouty lips but he's able to put on this like he's able to shift his expression through the most minor of of changes from like deadly malevolent predator that will bite your throat out to yeah. bizarre bizarrely deadpan like reptilian cold yeah <laughs> my hypothesis would be that Doug Hutchison is is able to portray this and and he's you know he's got a little bit of a habit of portraying characters in this zone because he's genuinely fucking weird and and perhaps upsetting. Um, but I, I just cannot, if you've not seen these episodes enough, uh, there will be there will be a handful of stills of Tombs be at his Toombsiest in the Instagram um, because it his ability to do and basically wordlessly and then he turns into this like savage monster that will literally rip like your viscera out and consume it um, on the spot is uh, it's he, he does an amazing job so whatever negative things I might say theoretically about alleged things that Doug Hutchison is up to he crushes it in portraying this guy do you, I mean, how do you, how much yeah. do you remember? There, well, there's a like a lie detector scene where it's so creepy because you know he's lying, mm-hmm. um, like from the narrative and everything, and he's beating the lie detector test because he has like a slow metabolism and a crazy two hundred year old brain, mm-hmm. and um, the his facial expressions during that are like one hundred percent the polar opposite of when he's charging out of his cocoon attacking Mulder. 
mm-hmm. covered in like green bile, mm-hmm. and his face mm-hmm. looks like a monster. Like yeah, um, I mean, <laughs> and they don't do a lot to monsterify him. I mean, I think yeah, I don't, and, I don't, yeah, think, that's what I mean. I like they I mean, don't they just, have to really they just do grease much him to make up him with this mean. like gunky like gel that is yeah. like supposed to be part of his nest, and you know he's kind of dirty and oily. And he's got the he's got the yellow contacts, so the, the yellow contacts do some work. But otherwise, it's totally Doug Hutchison's performance and the direction and the lighting. Like Doug Hutchison is really doing the heavy lifting of just being a little dude who is fucking terrifying. Like it, it, it would be so easy to miscast this. And you're being like, why am I afraid of this little dude? Um, but but Doug Hutcherson, he hits a grand slam of being like an like an absolute terror. I mean, to in my it, to to me visually, with Doug Hutcherson's portrayal, it is it reminds me of Ted Bundy, and it's easy to just tell say that things remind you of Ted Bundy because he's just so prominent in this yeah. like in this area. But to me, and you know, this is with 2020 vision, so I appreciate that. But to me, you see somebody that, again, on paper, is a mild-mannered, like, workaday, lunch-pail white dude. Like, I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to be a politician. Or somebody that just doesn't attract a lot, a lot of attention. But if you're really paying attention, in my opinion, that there is something animalistically wrong yeah. of, of the, <laughs> from the vibe that is coming off of this person. Um, now, obviously, you know, Ted Bundy's a real person who was able to charm dozens of people in different contexts into, you know, positions where he could do the most unspeakable crimes to him. And Doug Hutchison is portraying a fictional human mutant monster on a TV show. But the, the dichotomy between, well, look at this guy versus, oh, my God, what is he doing? I think is that <laughs> feeling that that like flip of the coin thing that Doug Hutchison is doing, that's what it reminds me of the most. Um, is like the, the, and he does it in some, in some cases, the, he does the whole process at least once on screen, particularly if you, you know, if you'll try to recall, there's a part where in the second episode in uh, Tombs is the second episode, episode 21 of season one, uh, they bring him back. So he's the first recurring baddie in the show yeah. also. He breaks ground on a number of ways. But they bring him back because he was so popular. And in the second episode, he's like, fra- he goes, he frames Mulder for just like harassing him, which Mulder's kind of doing, but he like goes yeah, into Mulder's apartment, steals his, his boot, um, and like, like fakes like an attack on himself by Mulder to yeah, get he, Mulder out of his way. He breaks his so, own arm. So, Mulder. What? Suck my dick. Yeah. He breaks his own arm. Yeah. He, so he's committing like high level smart person trickery, which is so he's not just purely an animal, but also there's a there's a big penultimate scene where uh, he goes and he's going to go and kill Scully. Um, and he breaks into her place by going through the window because and I've totally forgotten this whole point, which is one of his main thing, other than being a freaky mutation that eats people is he's able to stretch and elongate his body like kind of a half-assed Mr. Fantastic. Um, And not, and, and only like a bit, like kind of like maybe twofold, you know, but they, they use, do a series of gags and this is how he gets into these 
as we might call them in like the Sherlock Holmes world, like closed door mysteries where, you know, how, how did this murder happen? There was no way to get into this room. The person was alone. The door was locked. And, and Toombs come becomes the ultimate closed door mysteries, bad guy, because he can squeeze his body as is the title of the first episode into these he can come down your chimney like fucking Santa Claus or he can go through your barred window by kind of like doing this like like kind of sweaty T1000 routine where he doesn't really like totally elongate into some kind of like unrecognizable thing he just kind of gets like long and bendy but the, through direction, they only show a little bit of it, and they, they use it very sparingly. It's kind of like the, the, the shark in Jaws. They, they've only got so much budget for... they only got so much bendy budget. Um, <laughs> but they do a lot with it, and it partnered with Doug Hutchison's portrayal of this guy being just like a fucking nightmare um, is, uh, is, in my opinion, very captivating. It's very successful. So he bends himself into... Scully's place and is going to put the chomp on her, but luckily uh, Mulder shows up just in time, and there's a there's a battle in her bathroom, and he runs over. He's going to shoot. He's going to shoot him, but oh, it's too dangerous. He wants to catch him. You know, he'd he'd rather he'd rather catch the guy and get the mystery solved, right? So he runs over with his um, runs over with his handcuffs and slams him on tombs, and then she takes the other end and, and locks him onto the, the the bathtub fixture, and he's like this biting, snarling monster dog with yellow eyes right then, and then as he realizes there's nothing he can do, he totally powers down and goes back into, like, cold mode. And he does it all in this, like, ten-second, no-cut chunk of film that is just so good and it would be so easy to like cut away from that and not make him do the work but it's so much better because you see the full transition from one state to the other state um, that this character has of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and it's it's really really captivating um, they talk about a bunch of these things on the have you ever heard the Kumail Nanjiani show the X-Files Files no he has a podcast where he just brings in people that he knows and talks about their favorite episode of the X Files, cool. and um, it's really good. And they they covered they obviously covered this one. Ultimately, in the second episode, like in the, at the end of the first episode, he gets locked up, and it's kind of ominous because you you know he's like licking this newspaper and throwing it into a pile in his cell at this sanitarium. But he's like he's licking the newspaper and throwing it on the wall to presumably create one of these new bile nests. And um, it, the episode ends with him realizing that he, if he tries really hard, he can probably like squeeze himself out of the slat that they put his food through in the door. And he really slowly <laughs> pulls off this like really rough kind of grinchy grin about it, and his eyes go yellow again. It's just serious <laughs> fuck. And that's how the whole that's how it ends until they go to the second episode. Second episode starts basically at the same place where he's a, trying to he's about to try to escape from the place. But good news, his uh, chump of a um, psychiatrist says you're almost certainly going to get uh, let out and put back into society tomorrow so yeah. ta-da and then the whole thing starts again 
So on Doug Hutchison for a moment, uh, I just want to go into like a little sidebar about um, that he's kind of a weird dude. Um, <laughs> Hutchison is actually a vegetarian, or was at the time. After filming Tombs, he sent the liver of an animal to Chris Carter, uh, famed creator of the show, as a thank you for the opportunity to play a character <laughs> on the X-Files. Scully, what are you wearing? For his final scenes... Uh, Doug Hutchison performed nude. As scripted, Toombs was supposed to emerge from his cocoon wearing his animal control uniform, but Hutchison thought that made no sense. Uh, at other places where I've looked it up, he seemed he was extremely adamant, and um, they had basically a weird little naked guy uh, around set for like two days covering goop <laughs> because he <laughs> demanded to shoot it that way. Um, so, yeah, do with that what you will. Uh, the, the last piece I would say is his third marriage to aspiring singer and actor, actress Courtney Stodden took place on May 20th, 2011, yada, 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 in Las Vegas. He was 51 and she was 16. Oh. Both of Stodden's parents were supportive of the choice. Her mother, Krista, signed a legal consent form allowing the marriage, as well as having signed their certificate as a witness. Uh, Hutchison was also Stodden's manager before they were married, so you know, Holly, Hollywood is uh, great. And he is three <laughs> years older than his father-in-law, Alex, born in 63, and one year younger than his mother-in-law, Krista. But I'm, I think that one is one of the ones, I think he got divorced to her this year or that year. I'm not keeping track of this individual's marriages, but anyway. So taking those three pieces of trivia, it's just a uh, He's a, Doug Hutchison is uh, some kind of character. That's all I'll say about that. Yeah. Um, according to one of the creators of the show, Morgan, he was in, uh, also influenced by an article he read about the real-life serial killer Richard Ramirez, who had been dubbed the Night Stalker. We currently have that cool Netflix uh, five-piece documentary about. If anybody's not watched that, highly recommend it. It's very good. Um, <laughs> the rumors around the killings were that Ramirez was climbing in through victims' windows above their shower. Uh, that being a common architectural feature in California homes, which I can say is, is true. Uh, back then, a whole lot of them in that region, they just got this, you know, kind of like approximately man-sized hole, you know. But, you know, Ramirez was kind of a weirdly built guy. He was tall and broad, but he could wriggle through uh, a smaller window than you would think. Yeah. Um, and climbing through windows was kind of his, his jam. Um, also, in an interview for a featurette on the X-Files Season 1 DVD, Chris Carter revealed more about the inspiration for Toom's habit of eating livers. Quote, Jim and Glenn, other creators of the show, wanted the character to, to harvest the livers of people and do it on a schedule so that, in fact, if he didn't catch this character, he would disappear again and go into hibernation. The bile, I think, was a suggestion of mine. Again, that being Chris Carter. Um, yeah. Additionally, writers Morgan and Wong have cited Jack the Ripper as having inspired the character's conception, and Tombs also bears some, perhaps unintentional, resemblance to the fictional serial killer from The Night Strangler, the second of two movies in the Kolchak The Night Soccer series. The murder in that film would rise from the Seattle underground every 21 years, strangle his victims, and use their blood to keep himself alive for a century. <laughs> Author Neil Gaiman listed the character of Eugene Toombs as one of his favorite monsters in a unique guest column for Entertainment Weekly's 1,000th issue. Huh. Uh, while UGO Networks listed the character as one of their quote-unquote best TV serial killers, describing Hutchison's acting as quote-unquote uber-creepy. 
Um, writing of for a Den of Geek, John Moore listed Eugene Toombs as his uh, top ten X-Files baddies, um, noting that the popularity of both Squeeze and Toombs proved to be, quote-unquote, the largely responsible for shifting the emphasis of the show away from dwelling solely on alien conspiracy-based mythology. It's inspired by various serial killer elements... There is something about serial killers that kind of feels otherworldly because they don't feel like real people. You know, they yeah. kind of have... It seems like they're accessing uh, elements that animals have that we don't have or something that's non-human has that we don't have. Um, and I think go- going to the point of creating a character who's literally a mutation rather than just a very scary guy... Um, kind of does the work, does the genre work of giving us the feeling that I think people, and I don't have this experience, but people, you know, maybe during the living in Los Angeles during the period of the Night Stalker, who anybody could have been a victim of Ramirez. They didn't know who he was. He came in through your window in the middle of the night. He attacked men. He attacked women. He young, attacked young people. He attacked old people. You know, this kind of like uber predator feeling of you you're there's no way that you're safe you know in the same yeah. way that freddy krueger is primarily interesting not because he's his face looks like a pizza or he's got razors on his hands but his ultimate power is he can get you in the worst possible situation because you're asleep and now yeah. you're in his you're in his domain that there's you can never escape him and that that element of this kind of like minor X-Man ability that he has to, like, kind of fit inside of things. Um, It makes him, you know, it it turns him into kind of a mythological version of the serial killer, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, I I always liked uh, the Tombs character. What What I always wondered was, how did he figure out what his metabolic cycle was because he had to have figured out that he needs to eat five livers and make a bile cocoon without (laughs) like (laughs) yeah the the portrayal you know the portrayal of you know it kind of um it's very animalistic yeah in that he only talks when he has to talk yeah. The yell the when he get when he gets in the kill mode, he gets like kill horny and his eyes go yellow. Yeah. Um and the direction of you know the scene changes. It really gives you a sense of like an animal that's going into another it's going into a predatory state. Yeah. Uh, there's a quote that Mulder says as they're leaving a hearing. He says, "Think of him as an animal, he'll only kill out of necessity or self-defense." Yeah. Um and the the vast majority of the things that are in the show, including the bile cocoon and including the natural long term biorhythm of having to do the like five livers and that specific thing, and then it's a it's yeah. an eating eating for food problem. Um, it's really portrayal of someone who is one foot in being a person and one foot being in something more primordial and more animalistic. Uh, yeah. You know. And in that quote, you know, Mulder even says it. Think of him as being an animal, and <laughs> and that's really what the show is showing us: is he's he's a mutant, he's a creature, he's he's half person, he's half something else. But thinking of him as an animal is the, is the correct the correct way to do it. So the way that he's a monster, 
is, you know, if he was just a serial killer, if he was Ramirez or Bundy, I wouldn't be covering him on the show. Yeah. But because he is a portrayal that is, um, whatever he is, a mutation, yeah, a beast, also a, meta- really a metahuman. Strong. Yeah, right, because the actual, actual Doug Hutchinson's like five foot five. Yeah, and I would we, think, like, everything that has, like, a slow metabolism like that also is really strong because all it really does is build protein. <laughs> like, like a bear does nothing but builds muscles and it doesn't have to work out to do yeah. that, which is a weird right. metabolics thing. It's like kind of like the opposite of what humans do. Yeah, it's an in-out energy conservation system. Yeah. Yeah, where you rarely use your your like attack systems, but when you do, you can just fucking wreck whatever you have to, 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 to wreck. Yeah. If he is an animal, was he raised by people that are also yeah. like this? His his legacy lives on in the intro shots, and sometimes they'll show uh, the newspaper clippings or a photo of him in a montage on a wall. But yeah, uh, there's a flashback di- in season eleven. Oh, okay, yeah, <laughs> he's, he's ding dang done. Um, yeah. when they when they crush him. Real good yep. in the second episode. X Files solved. Kind of. I mean, it's still a mystery of what he was. <laughs> Case closed dish. Case no, closed dish. Case not going to be a problem anymore. Yeah, mustache twirled. But we don't uh, know why. Mustache twirled. <laughs> I get more satisfaction out of that version of, like, of. X Files episodes than yeah. the conspiracy series stuff because Definitely. in the conspiracy theory episodes it seems like you know you solve some questions only to create it seems like you solve t- you answer two questions and then you add five questions yeah you know it seems like in the monster of the week episodes you solve six questions add one question you know it's yeah. like well I mean God at least that's done with at least he's, yeah. at least he's Dunzo. Yeah, that's like, where that where did he, where did he come had. from? All, I don't know. Like like all throughout the nineties I had this problem with TV shows, which was there was never any fucking conclusion. Like <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and it's one of the primary merits merits to a Monster of the Week episode, even if you're like, What where did that crazy thing come from? It's still a much smaller sub question, at yeah. least in my mind. Um, within the context of the story, to be to, then all of the other things would be like, what the fuck is going on here? Is yeah, there come was... in my window and eat me? Like, I want to keep my liver. Like, getting that stuff resolved, you know, it seems like it's got, like, well, that fluke monster, I guess he's just some weird thing that lives in the sewer. Oh, well, ta-da. Yeah, like, there was yeah. always the question that we could live with, which was, what exactly was that? We'll never know. That's fine. Mm-mm. But, like, also... Did Mulder's sister get kidnapped or not? God damn it. There's nine answers, and none uh-huh. of them are right. <laughs> and they'll solve it, and then a, a, a season later, they'll be like, ah, psych. Yeah. It, it was the smoke monster the whole time. It was the smoke um, monster from another show. Yep, it was that weird, charming blonde guy who sits on the beach with the other guy and who's like a god or a demigod or I don't yeah. know what the fuck. Who gives a shit? <laughs> Um, anyway, sorry. I, I, I will have plenty of soapbox to shit on Lost in this show, I have no doubt. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. I, I stopped watching Lost. Like, three episodes in. <laughs> I got through season 
three or four before I really, I was, I kept thinking like, all right, you're going to really start like tying it up. Yeah. You, there's no way you did all of this without having any meta plan as to what the fucking point is. Yeah. And then you get to like season four or five and you're like, you have no idea what you're doing, do you? Yeah. Which is fine in another show if the show is not about what does it mean? Yeah, the, the, the whole show was about what does it mean. Exactly. <laughs> the whole express point of the show was what does it really mean? I, I and mean, then you don't deliver on what it means to the audience. They're going to want to fucking hunt you down and strangle you for the rest of their fucking lives. <laughs> yeah. Like, what I'm going to say probably won't make it into the show because it's way too negative, but I Ugh. hate J.J. Abrams. I started watching Fringe, like, recently. And that's some of the stupidest shit I've ever seen in my life. I, you know, I cannot expertly dunk on Fringe because I think that there are good aspects about Fringe, but I have a feeling that I will hold a lot of the same sentiment as you have, which is a very measured and diplomatic way of me saying, fuck J.J. Abrams. Yeah, fuck J.J. Abrams. Oh my God, it makes me so mad that he got to just like pull a like a clown now out of his fucking like wrist of his of his dumb fucking clown tuxedo for five seasons before anybody was like oh wait we're getting paid to figure out what the fuck this is actually about and still <laughs> billion dollar writing rooms full of people that were coming came in there to help J.J. Abrams could not figure out what the goddamn fucking show is about so it's, instead it's a slow motion montage of a bunch of people smiling around a room that's either supposed to be heaven or purgatory or hell or who the fuck knows get out of my house <laughs> <laughs> and that's <sighs> who you put in charge of Star Wars <laughs> Which is a different. Well, at least Star Wars already has like a baked-in internal narrative that you can only fuck up so badly. Um, (laughs) So yeah, uh, Tombs is great because he resolves, and unlike the smoke (laughs) monster, he gets crushed by a damn escalator, and you get to move on with your friggin' life. And Escalators your... are, are really scary, by the way. Mm, like, yeah. if you could see every part of an escalator, you wouldn't want to go on one. Oh, for sure. <laughs> There's a, there was a, a clue on uh, the NPR show that I love, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the other day, where, you know, they'll do, like, two lies and a truth, and yeah. the, the person calling in will have to guess which one the true one was. And the, the true one in this instance was... Yeah, the original it was like London or Paris or somewhere this original massive expo where they showed the first or one of the first escalators what they they like gave you like a snifter of brandy at the top for having ridden it because people were so terrified of the idea of a moving set of stairs and I'm like yeah if I was a Victorian I would not get on a moving set of stairs either yeah. also because I guarantee that first model escalator was just like a child munching machine yeah yeah Yeah, there's no way the prototype was safe in any manner Mm -hmm. (laughs) like sure little little salvador get on there it won't be any problems your bloomers won't get pulled down into that monstrous modern machine under any circumstances (laughs) the 1800s are completely safe (laughs) just ask all of the labor of chicago anyway (laughs) yeah 
Uh, well, I think yeah, I think we should. I think I should tag out, and we should we should uh, we should tag in um, <laughs> Gavin or Ted DiBiase or something to find I, out I what, would, what we're doing for our second. I kind of wanted to add we would do a crunch time to this, but there's no real. It's like an editor there's cap, no, there's no a vampire real, yeah, and a there, doppelganger. Yeah, there's no real. I mean, he's kind of like a cannibalistic creature with some very low grade powers. I yeah, mean, I, I don't know. I like, guess if you if you mechanized his, if you crunched his like, mm, like, like Mister like weak ass Mister Fantastic power. Yeah, I guess you could say that he can fit into the spaces of a tiny creature. Yeah, that, you know what I mean. You would just yeah. say has the ability to move well, through spaces that can only be moved through well, by a would, tiny yeah, creature. Yeah, he would be like but, a if a vampire vampirized a fifth edition, uh, fifth edition uh, editor cap. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I was I was kind of think he's kind of like a he's like a slow motion ghoul with a, an ability yeah. to move at half movement rate, but through spaces that only a tiny creature can move through. I mean, that kind of that kind of gets you there, but that that leaves you with a very unsatisfying like you know D and D monster. Yeah, um, <laughs> who knows? Because he's not you know he's not a fantasy and action uh, yeah. bad guy. You know he's yeah. a suspe- he's a suspense. Well, he would bad be great guy. in another game. Like, oh yeah, sure. He'd be great in. Mo- I mean, he'd be great in Monster of the Week, or yeah. you could put him in something else where things are just a little bit off. Where not everybody's swinging around bastard swords and shooting fire out of their yeah. fingertips. Like you a know, Cthulhu somebody's... game, a noir game. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Call of Cthulhu could be. He could. He would be an interesting flavor of uh, skin of him in Call of Cthulhu. You could put him in other games. Or something like him in other games, but it's just yeah. not. Just doesn't work if in a game where everybody's got a rapier and a and a magic yeah. missile like in their back pocket. Yeah, and also um, as far as like magic cards go, there's several magic cards that have like put this creature out of play with counters on it and bring it back, mm-hmm. and it's whatever hibernated and now it fits somewhere. There's so many cards like that that go ahead yeah. and pick one, and there's Eugene Tombs. Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. All right. Well, I think that covers us. I think that taps yeah. us out of tombs. So that's uh, a good one. Did you like? Okay, good. I'm glad you like that. Because uh, if <laughs> that was not fun, I don't know what. Because that's one of my more like, that's one of the 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 monsters that made me want to do the show. Where I was like, yeah, I'll yeah. fucking talk about tombs. Hell yeah. Now that we've escaped our first menace, dear readers, we invite you into the apothecary, that den of rare and obscure balms, salves, powders, and oils derived from the exotic serpents, clattering critters, and acrid arachnids, where we do our most shadowy machinations. Our friend Jeremy keeps dying in the dark putrid dungeons one player character after the next, like moths to the flame, whether it's crushed by a cyclops, didn't get his mage armor up in time, or was incinerated by his own divine light, Jeremy finds a way for his piss wizard to perish in the first round of combat. So here we are to ask you to open your coin purses, help pitch in just a bit to defray the massive cost of all these dang healing potions we need to keep Jeremy crawling through the dungeons. 
If you want to support the show on an ongoing basis, you can check us out at patreon.com slash oopsallmonsters. That's oops with two O's. Or you can make a one-time contribution to the Apothecary's Health Potions for Jeremy Fund, which at most levels will get you a shout-out at the top of the show, if you're into that. If you're not, we can give you a sweet and scary pseudonym to keep your dark business under wraps. So you can toss a coin to us at paypal.me slash oopsallmonsters. Again, that's paypal.me slash oopsallmonsters. And in every case... Oops is with two O's and no punctuation, just like Tiamat intended. Hi there. My name is Douglas Raffensperger, and I'm a CEO and founder of Douglas's Cutlasses. Have you ever found yourself in this situation? You've just gotten home from a long day of spurring growth at your small but thriving business. You're just trying to slice some quality deli meats and cheeses for a relaxing snack. And suddenly there's a mysterious intruder rummaging through your garbage outside. What's a domestic disruptor to do when you get in a pickle like this? Pull out your handy-dandy, short-handled, half-guarded navel sword, that's what. Here at Douglas and Cutlass, we've got every possible cutlass for every conceivable scenario. Are you an aspiring or current CEO of a Fortune 500 company? I've got a cutlass for that. A middle school teacher struggling to maintain discipline in the classroom? I've got a cutlass for that. Looking to add a little flair to drab dinner parties? I've got a cutlass for that. Some people say to me, but Douglas, I'm not a pirate, privateer, or sailor. What do I need with a battle quality 27 inch half guard naval sword? I'm so glad you asked. Here at Douglas's Cutlasses, our research shows that the vast majority of conflicts, both business and personal, can be positively affected by the introduction of a modest, well crafted naval sword. So let's get swashbuckling. No matter what's your problem, an easy-to-wield iron forged cutlass is probably the solution. So once again, I'm Douglas Raffensperger of Douglas's Cutlasses. Come get stabby with me. Please go to paypal.me slash oopsallmonsters and make a payment there. And that's oops with two O's. Again, that link is paypal.me slash oopsallmonsters. Eleven fifty-five, almost midnight. Enough time for one more story. Just imagine that you're broadcasting your podcast, and it's the witching hour, and um, you can't really see outside. Visibility's low. Something's banging on your windshield, and that's because the fog has rolled in. <laughs> uh, the fog. The fog. The fog from the oh, fog. Oh God. <laughs> so, wow, I, I think if somebody knew us very well and they were to put down money on which one of us would have brought in the first John yeah. Carpenter thing, I don't know, I think it would have been a pretty even bet, I but I probably would have put money on me. Actually, I, yeah. would probably, I would have put in even money that either of us could have brought the thing. Yeah. But for me to bring the stuff and then for you to bring the thing would have felt a little bit kind of like redundant. I, I went unpredictable is... with this. <laughs> yeah, no, the f- so, okay, The Fog. The Fog Tell- from The Fog, 1979. Some people say 1980. Whatever. When it came out. Yeah, and this one's a double whammy because it's The Fog, and it also has what I'm going to call The Drowned in it. Because mm-hmm. to relate to other, other games and stuff like that, they are The Drowned. They're cursed 
um, zombie kind of things. They're undead. They're revenants. Um, and they come back from a specific curse. Uh, they're kind of seeking vengeance, and also there's gold involved. The movie starts with a campfire story, which was added because the movie was too short. Um, the campfire story tells kind of a vague thing about how the, f the fog is going to hunt the children because they see them mm -hmm. uh, camping out on the beach. And then it cuts into Jamie Lee Curtis um, hitchhiking, and she's picked up by Tom Atkins. And uh -huh. um, they're driving down the road, and the car windows get smashed in the fog, and it's kind of weird. But they don't seem to mind that so much, because then they just kind of, like, sleep with each other. and uh -huh. Which must have been great, like, because they already established in the car that they were both kind of weird. So I guess uh -huh. that, that was enough for them. <laughs> and this is Tom Atkins and Adrian Barbeau, or Tom no? Atkins Tom Atkins and Jamie, and Lee, Jamie Curtis. Lee Curtis. Adrian Barbeau oh, okay. is a radio D DJ. She's the sultry narrator of the whole story. Right. It I, it has been a hell of a while since I've seen the fog, but I will tell <laughs> you that some one of the effects of the fog is when I watch it, I cannot fucking remember it. Yeah. <laughs> I I all I remember is I, if I look at these stills of it's the st of all I remember is literally like the box cover stuff yeah. every time. And I've seen it 5 or 6 times. I can quote you every single line from the thing. Yeah. But I cannot remember I I the slightest bit about the fog except that they're foggy like <laughs> silhouetted pirate ghost like ghoul guys who like shamble in and move very slowly and yeah. break windows. Yeah. And literally if you had asked me, and I've seen this movie within the last three years, I guarantee <laughs> yeah. it. Cause I'm like, Oh, John Carpenter, the fog. Why? Well, but I like that. And the, you know, and then I watch it and in one eye out the other, it is just, yep. it is, it does not stick in my brain. And it is like somebody is men in blacking me. And I don't understand. It's something about the way the movie is just, it's not made it's, with the same abilities that other John Carpenter movies are made. I can't yeah, explain. It's because also because it's not, it's not very terrible either. Like not, none of it sticks out cause it's, it's okay. Uh -huh. It's a pretty good story. Yeah. And like it's, the characters are interesting enough to watch it while you're watching it, but not okay. interesting enough to remember it. And okay. um, I remember I saw it when I was like 16 or 15 or 16, and I had no idea that I've seen this movie until like I was hanging out at Wes's house or something. He goes, we're going to watch all the Carpenter movies. And I thought, The mm. Fog? That's not a Carpenter movie. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. No, but it, it surely is. It certainly, uh, don't let me derail you too much, but it, it yeah. like the kind of unfocused like good idea with kind of shaky execution of the fog has a lot of overlap with Prince of Darkness. I'm sure you know yeah. Prince of Darkness, right? Yeah. Like to me, I remember Prince of Darkness scene by scene very well. <laughs> and it's it's very close to having the production quality of the fog, but I do not remember the fog at all. It is for lack of a better joke just foggy. And I've seen it <laughs> three or four times. And I've seen it in the last five years, and it's just, like, totally gone. Which is crazy, <laughs> because it stars people I really like. I yeah. find Tom Atkins really it's, fun to watch yeah, on screen. He's Tom one of my Atkins, favorite, uh, one of my favorite, like, monster hero guys from, um, 
from uh, Night of the Creeps. Like, I yeah. love him in Night of the Creeps. Night of the Creeps and, is awesome. <laughs> yeah, and both Jamie Lee Curtis and Adrian Barbeau are just, yeah. like, top-notch, amazing, like, oh, I'm glad this woman's in this because it makes it a hell of a lot more watchable. Not yeah. only because they're actually, they're compelling to watch on screen, but, you know, the cleave is is 10 out of 10. <laughs> you know, we'll see what we'll see whether I leave that in the show or not. It's, I don't know. <laughs> uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's mom is in it, too, Janet Lee. Right, right. And uh, Hal Halbrook is the preacher guy, mm-hmm. who's, who's a pretty good actor. James Canning from MASH. Yeah, Hal, Hal Holbrook... <laughs> To me, like, he kind of, he reminds me of Alan Alda in the sense that I don't think that Hal Holbrook is ever playing a character. It's kind of like, oh, yeah. Hal Holbrook's in this movie. It's like yeah. <laughs> it's like Hal Holbrook, the actor, just walked onto a set, and you're like, hey, why'd you put Hal Holbrook in that, like, priest getup? Yeah. <laughs> because he just literally plays the exact same guy who sounds exactly like himself in every scene, a la Alan Alda. You're like... Yeah, that's not the president. That's Alan Alda. And you're like, yeah. I guess he's the president of this one. I'm like, no, he's Alan Alda in this one. Yeah, this the fog also has Nancy Keys, who went by Nancy Loomis, because she got that from Halloween, and that's her stage mm. name. She's only huh. in Carpenter movies. Huh. Like, <laughs> that's and weird. yeah, she's an she's a sculptor now, and I guess she teaches theater. But she used to be Nancy Loomis, and just like exclusively in Carpenter movies. Okay, so what's um, the deal with this actual fog? The fog is um, from a curse from a ship called the Elizabeth Dane. And what had happened was that a long time ago, a bunch of lepers wanted to come to the town to settle, but far away from them. And people mm. still didn't like that idea, even though it was a mile away. So they wrecked their ship on purpose. And uh, after they wrecked their ship, they stole all their gold because the head leper was, like, really rich. And um, now, a hundred or whatever years later, the fog-drowned guys uh, from the shipwreck decides to kill all of the direct descendants of the six conspirators that wrecked their ship. Wow, it's kind of a it's kind of a Freddy Krueger yeah. revenge on the parents kind of deal, except yeah. with... Leper pirates. Except with leper, undead leper pirates. And um, so they they get three of them in one shot on a fishing boat. And um, after they get the guys on the fishing boat, Jamie Lee Curtis was a hitchhiker that Tom Atkins picked up. And now she's just kind of like in the adventure party, straight from a role-playing game. Like, now I'm just part of this. And which, yeah, like, a lot of us would understand... But because we played role-playing games and we understand, like, <laughs> this character is now in the party. But, uh-huh. like, if you're just a regular person watching, like, this movie, you'd have no idea why she would be sticking around. <laughs> now that you say that, I, I might describe the through line of all Jamie Lee Curtis characters as being yeah. incred- incredulous, incredulously acceptable of going along with totally random bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> like any any sane person would be like, no, 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 no. I am not going to try to infiltrate and rob this English barrister in order to yeah. s- 
steal this money or you know i am not going to dress up like a bavarian bimbo on this train oh to, yeah to um <laughs> to facilitate your like larger grift or i am yeah. i am not going to get into my underwear and do a striptease routine in the middle of this room for this um middle middle eastern terrorist in order to find out what my husband is doing in his spare time as a cia spy <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis, the elf rogue of 80s movies. Yes, and yes, anding yourself into the, the, the most unlikely situation for a hot woman to be in. Yeah. And then, um, but the preacher finds out why uh, the fog is coming. And the preacher finds this out by finding his grandfather's diary. And in the diary in the movie is this really funny thing. Uh, the prop guy wrote in a page, you get like a one second shot of it, it says, um, I wasted my college education to work writing dumb shit in this fucking movie prop. It's time to bring in the new girls with big tits, tattoos, and shaved beavers. <laughs> I, I don't know why I was not expecting that when you said it. Yeah. I thought, because it's like, I was expecting a joke. Yeah. <laughs> it's that's a joke on in a literal in a in a literal way. It's not a it's not a joke inside the space of the movie. It's yeah. a joke in, inside um, the reality of making a movie, which is a totally different thing. I don't know why I was not prepared for that. Yeah, it's great. But um, then Adrian Barbeau's kid finds um, half of the placard from the ghost ship. It says Dane. Adrian Barbeau brings that into her radio DJ booth for some reason. And then it spills water all over cassette tapes and starts taking over the airwaves and broadcasts like a James Joyce poem about albatrosses being around the neck. Yep, yep. And, um, is, it, is, it, is it possible he said, oh no, I have spilled water all over your beautiful booth? <laughs> I spilled water all over your beautiful booth. Your beautiful booth. booth. Your beautiful booth. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I just <laughs> yeah. got too much, I've got Adrian Barbeau butts on my mind. That's all, that's all I can say. Big chainsaw hands. <laughs> <laughs> Not me. I'm going to be an Adrian Barbeau bot. I demand to be an Adrian Barbeau bot. But yeah, with Jamie Lee Curtis being in the adventure team, they just kind of let her into the morgue where the three dead sailors are. And the hey, sailor... Would you, would you would you keep Jamie Lee Curtis out of your morgue? No. <laughs> yeah. And one of the sailor corpses um, from the seagrass, the ship that got fogged, um, they didn't... I'm not saying that they found the uh, drowned corpses yet. They found the, uh, the missing fishermen, is what I mean. To the ships at sea who can hear my voice, look across the water into the darkness... Look for the fog. And then the uh, fog zombies take the weatherman who hit on Adrian Barbeau all throughout the movie in a really bad way. And, like, I felt no sympathy when the zombies killed that guy. He was like a <laughs> creep and a... <laughs> Yeah, I'm. I'm sure he said, "You know what kind of problems I've been having with drowned leper zombies." Yeah. <laughs> and then, oh, and then the. The drowned zombies also kill Adrian Barbeau's kid's babysitter, who, like, seems kind of like a weird choice to be, like, the only living heir to the conspirators, is this mm. nice old woman that they just, <laughs> that just gets murdered in the fog. 
and John Carpenter just likes babysitters. Yeah, uh, we, John we Carpenter probably, likes to kill babysitters. You know, and we, if we if we like hacked into his Firefox, we'd probably find some things we were expecting to find. Yeah, the the preacher is the last guy that they want to get, but the preacher gives them uh, this giant cross made out of gold that I guess like was the gold that they stole from the ship. And um, I don't know why you would melt all your gold down into a cross if you were planning on, like, spending it. And, like, like that's why they stole the gold, so the town could be rich. But, like, they still have the gold. <laughs> it's melted down into a giant cross. But they take the gold and then disappear and kill the preacher anyway. Um, mm-hmm. Like, after, after the resolution, it kind of cuts back and shows the preacher being killed. But um, the drown, the monsters in the movie are pretty good because of the Hitchcock thing. Show less means more um, because you don't really see them. You don't see them at all. And the antagonist through the movie is mostly the fog. And even though they say that the fog is rolling west towards the coast and they're on the coast of California, which would mean it would be rolling away, um, they keep you know creating this sense of impending doom that is coming with the force of nature so like there's not really anything you can do to stop it and people haven't figured out yet that there's zombies in the fog like they just kind of think that the fog is what's killing everybody right and that's pretty scary i mean i'm scared of fog and they also (laughs) (laughs) they also pick it up on radar which is i want to point out that you cannot detect fog with radar ever (laughs) Like, we have radar that can detect swarms of insects, but still can't do moisture in the air. You do that with a barometer. Like, that's how you detect fog. But, I mean, it's a really good movie, and it's a really scary fog. Um, <laughs> even though that's the mystery... scary fog. Even though the mystery of the fog is explained by, well, it's got fucking zombies in it. That's why it's scary. Uh-huh. But I also, I also liked... I always liked the um, concept of the drowned. Because, like, that mindset of zombies, because they know that they're the drowned. They know that they're cursed instead of, like, regular mindless zombies. Like, mm-hmm. the drowned always have, like, a point. They have a motivation. Um, mm-hmm. s- some kind of intellect that makes them want to kill other sailors and landlubbers and stuff like that. And so, like, the hell that those guys must be going through all the time of not only constantly drowning... But also, like, getting no relief from killing people, <laughs> even though yeah, that's there's, their there's, instinctual there's overdrive. <laughs> yeah, there's something terrible and relentless about um, the the drowned undead as opposed to the re- your regular dry undead. Yeah. Regardless of, like, where it comes from. You know, my, what I originally, what I immediately think of is Ted Danson and, uh... Yeah. And the other girl from the, that first episode of the original Creep Show. Yeah, the Creep um, Show. With, with, where Leslie Nielsen buries them and they come back with a terrible, like, frog-in-their-throat sound. Yeah. Um, and he blasts them, with a, blasts them with the automatic pistol, and they're just, like, creeping on, and you know, it's just... There's... Yeah. Because it, it, it hits all of those bullet points of it's undead, and they're vengeful, and they're also kind of, like, maniacal and, un, and like, unrelenting. Yeah. You know, it's, like, it's got all of those parts that seem to be central to what's going on with these also underwater undead, you know, folks. Yeah, speaking of Creepshow, um, a lot of people in this movie were also in Creepshow 2. 
Mm-hmm. And that's because John Carpenter wanted to make a John Carpenter universe, which the catalyst would be the fog. Like, all the weird things mm-hmm. that happened in his movies would start with the fog rolling into town. I see. But that never developed into a thing. And it and it remained just the fog in the fog. Cool. So, yeah. um, do you want to discuss the uh, mechanics yeah. of such a thing? Because this is definitely a... This is definitely a monster that has versions in gaming, no doubt. Yeah, it definitely does. Um, there's there's a Drown Magic card. Um, the oldest one is a blue. It's from the uh, edition with the Crescent Moon. Yeah, the fa- the Fallen. Yeah. Or is it? No, it's the Dark. I'm sorry. The it's Dark, the dark. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's one colorless, one blue, and it's a 1-1 one, one regenerating creature. I had this. Yeah, Quentin Halver did the artwork, and it's the artwork isn't really scary or anything, but it's pretty creepy. Oh, that's pretty. I mean, yeah, it feels pretty. Feels pretty. It seems pretty fucked up to me. No, I definitely had this original, um, the dark card. I definitely had one of yeah, these. Yeah, the artwork in it. What I like, it sh- it shows like a bunch of different kinds of sailors. Like there's a there's a guy from like the 20s wearing wearing like a yeah. sailor suit there's a guy from like the 1700s there's a like a moroccan guy or, or like a burberry guy <laughs> yeah and it's a very rare blue blue creature in the sense that it has a one black regenerates power oh yeah which it's you a black almost never see and it's a summon zombies so it's, yeah. it's a rare case where you've got a blue zombie that requires black mana for its um, for its a for its like special power, which is you don't you never get that. Yeah, there's also um, a, a really good um, black card called March of the Drown. That's one black mana, and it returns a creature from your graveyard to your hand, or two target pirate cards from your graveyard to your hand, which is okay. pretty good for one mana. Yeah. Oh, I, I want to read the flavor text in the drowned yeah. card. It says, We asked Captain Soul what became of the Seraphina, but all he said was, Ships that go down shouldn't come back up. <laughs> I, I was trying to hit it at 9 and not go to 11. I think I, I was doing okay. Well, I, I had to up it. That's okay. All right. Everybody, everybody, everybody appreciates too much pirate. It's like, um, it's like garlic. You like can't. It's like the amount that you have to throw in before you actually like max it out, and people are turned off. Is like, yeah, it's way up. I, I, I saw how you tried to do shark go in the cage. <laughs> yeah. There's also yeah. there's a really good picture of the drowned from Forgotten Realms that I'll have to. We'll have to feature here. Um, yeah, let me. It's and okay if this takes a second. He's uh, got like it's a zo- it's a drowned zombie. He's got barnacles like a barnacle hunchback. Where he's got like a barnacle, yes, like almost like a zombie. second head. Yeah, yeah, and he's got like a scraggly kind of like red outfit. And yeah, he's got like one boot. Yeah, that's fucked up. That's yeah. pretty good. Um, yeah, I like that because. I think ultimately what you know the, the fo- what this reminds me of in the fog and then like Ted Danson and Leslie Nielsen in that creep show episode and you know things that you touch on in in even much bigger media like Pirates of the Caribbean and shit yeah is 
how like nasty and alien it is under the sea. Yeah. And and also to try to like um I think there's this for for you know the the whole world used to have a huge population of sailors. Like all all of yeah. the quote unquote Western world or quote unquote civilized world was totally contingent. All commerce was contingent on thousands of these people that had this ubiquitous job and this culture and you know, that's why we have all of this um, even just hand-me-down culture that we don't really have now because basically you've got the military navy and you've got commerce ships and that's about it. But it's not like it's not like something we live in our day to day and we're and yeah. so it's become totally mythology as opposed to like a lived experience for almost everybody yeah and that it's and that the ocean is alien and it's scary and it's freaky and the stuff at the bottom of it is a nightmare and if you're if you were if you drown down there it's it's no bueno yeah it's it would it was like completely unfathomable to think about what's at the bottom of the ocean back then because you really don't want to be there and so they didn't really want to investigate what was down there. And I think a lot of like art and um, representation of what at the bottom of the ocean is always like evil barnacles and like uh, things that have already been seen, but like twisted and dark. Yeah, Be- because well, I mean, it's it's so far away um, physically that they kind of distance like what any relative memory or not memory, any relative thought could be about what it is. And it's just this giant mystery until Steve Zissou, or what's his name? <laughs> <laughs> Steve Zissou? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, with the real, Steven's, real Steve Zissou is... Who, what is, who is that French guy that they're actually parodying in that? Why can I not remember that his, right now? When Jacques I was a kid, Cousteau. it would have been like, ja, Yeah, right. Jacques Cousteau. Jacques Cousteau. Yeah. <laughs> course when i was a kid that would have had it would have been the tip of my tongue he was like everywhere well yeah jacques but, um, Cousteau was like the the king of underwater everything from like 1969 to like 1989 yeah the richard attenborough of being in a boat yeah um, and and that's a pretty and, powerful contrast about how the sea used to be this powerful like almost mythic thing to being educational children's programming in yeah, the world absolutely. that we know like <laughs> it used to just be like fairy tales and warning like cautionary tales about don't go in the fucking water to like right. look how wonderful the water is well i think we're having this kind of like um freeway on-ramp experience of conjoining the deep sea now that we have technology and videography that is more competent at showing us what's down there yeah uh simultaneously with we're um getting back on a track where we're trying to explore deeper space but the thing is so far there's fucking nothing in space yeah you know like the space (laughs) that we can get to is full of rocks and things that hopefully might have some frozen water but the (laughs) the in the bottom of the ocean there is still wild ass shit we're like look at this wild ass fucking thing yeah where our expectations that we developed about space are more properly fulfilled by exploring the deep oceans. Yeah. Where you're like, we're going to go out there and we're going to find some real Star Trek bananas-ass shit. And you, so far, we're, we're, we're not out there in space finding it, We're the, the, but we are finding s- s- Star Trek banana-ass shit in the yeah. bottom of the ocean. Um, so it's kind of like we've had to take our expectations about space and throw them down um, the bottom of the Pacific Ocean. 
so uh, if could pull up this sea zombie um, uh, image so that yeah. we're both looking at the same thing, right? The guy with the, yeah. like the barnacle buddy on his shoulder. Yeah, the barnacle hunter. Because it, it he kind of looks like I don't know that bag of barnacles he's carrying. It doesn't look great. It's kind of look like it's kind of looks like he's really paranoid about vampires, <laughs> and he's got a whole. He's got a whole net full of garlic on his shoulder. He's like, ah, ain't gonna get me. What does this boy sound like? <laughs> yeah, those, so yeah. Welcome to what is this? What does this boy sound like? But he's 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 like for a for a sea zombie. He's got kind of like a swagger going on. Yeah, you know what I mean. And maybe the deliberate way he has to walk on the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. Uh, but he's got kind of like, hey, ladies, check out my. Check out my barnacle pile, yeah. kind of. Uh, I'm always losing one shoe. <laughs> Does that? Yeah, he's only. Yeah, he's got, he's only got one boot. Do you think this is like a walk of shame? Yeah, he's like leaving the. He's leaving the sea hag's house. Walk of shame. And he's 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 going going back to where the snorks live. Yes, is that right? The snorks was that that? Yeah, show? the snorks are, was underwater. Right. Like, yeah. I'm gonna go kill that fucking orc Gargamel if it's the last thing I do. Was there a Snorks Gargamel? I can't remember. Uh, nobody. Yeah, I mean, it was supposed to be the Smurfs underwater, but yeah. you know, it didn't. It was kind of like it just didn't hold the weight of the Smurfs. I I can I cannot remember for the life of me what the fuck the point of the Snorks was. I don't know either. I think. I mean, everybody knows happy. what's up with the Smurfs. Is the Smurfs are trying to Smurf it up, and then Gargamel's going to come in and try to turn them into gold, and yeah. they've got to come up with some way to like to get him to to fuck off. Yeah, I'm pretty sure and, the Snorks were just happy. Yeah, which does not make for a very good show. <laughs> no. We're snorking it up. Um, but back to this guy. Yeah. Who's like, uh, um, just like, uh, it's. Uh, Tough luck, tough luck being Dave these days. It's, it's hard always losing my shoe. <laughs> I guess I'm gonna go back to the sea hag's house and she's gonna accuse Dave of leaving it there on purpose so that Dave would have a reason to go back, but I just am forgetful. <laughs> if, you, if you take his skull smile to be just like a regular smile, I guess he would be like, You want some my shrimp? <laughs> Hey, you want some of my shrimp? <laughs> He's, hey, buddy, you uh, want some of my shrimp? <laughs> he must have had a pretty nice pirate suit way earlier. Yeah. Before it got all eaten up by before eels got, and shit. Got all drowned like, up. I'm a fancy man. Hey, he looks like he could have been man. a bard or a, like, a, you know, he doesn't necessarily look like... Um, Oh, he's got starfish on him. I just yeah. now noticed he's got a, at least a couple of starfish. He's got, he's got he, starfish he, poldroons. <laughs> I'm sure. Oh, there's a, there's a little crab there too. Yeah, this is a good illustration. We're gonna have to we're gonna have to cite who illustrated this because I'm yeah. I just got it on this generic image. I would like um, to find out. It's a good image. It's probably looks like it's watercolor. It's a it's, it's well executed. Yeah, this um, is the scariness that I think of when I think of the drowned. Instead of like the the cartoonishly very entertaining but not very scary um Bill Nighy uh squid face uh, Davy Jones. Squid face dude. Which is just like yeah. fun to look at and it's not really scary. 
Yeah, yeah, right. I, and that's I think that's one of the reasons that I one of the well one of the many reasons that I'm not so much into the Pirates of the Caribbean is like yeah they're they're implying that it's very scary and it's not yeah you know I but, but, like it's and, very you know, fun it's, it, it's easy to critic yeah it's easy to criticize something because the the wild lack of stakes has launched it into being its own billion dollar cottage industry just that series of movies yeah um, that will allow Johnny Depp to abuse people ad nauseum until his death but uh, <laughs> but moreover the incredible lack of any actual danger does it makes it makes it like more of a ride for 10 year olds as opposed to a thing that I could watch for 90 minutes, let alone three goddamn hours at a time of my actual human life. Yeah. There's nine hours of that shit. (laughs) (laughs) And which is unfortunate because so much of it has had so much effort put into it. And all of the good actors that are, you know, like Bill Nighy that are now being, you know, covered over by a, <laughs> yeah. by a CGI octopus mask. And to, I mean, and it's creating something interesting, but it just, it lacks any danger yeah. for me. I'm, I don't feel, I don't, I'm, those, sh- they should be scary. They are undead they, pirates who have been like around the ocean and in the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. For, well, there's also a lot of decades. jokes like Bill Nighy um, does a lot of comical squid face things that mm-hmm. is not scary and very entertaining. Like, yeah, right. I don't care that this man has captured me because look how funny he is, and he's uh-huh. a wonderful musician. Yeah, but <laughs> and I think you'll agree with me is jokes and scary are not mutually exclusive. No, you know what I mean. Jokes in anything are not mutually exclusive, and directors need to freaking. <laughs> Yeah, I Here mean, I, go. <laughs> I I dare anybody to say that Danny DeVito in Batman Returns is not fucking frightening. Yeah, there are uh, structural elements of that movie that you can say do or do not work depending on how you feel about it. But Danny DeVito eating fish on screen as a subhuman fish man with yeah. an army of like zonked out circus clown. Deviant cult monsters is a goddamn nightmare. Yeah. And he makes also some pretty solid jokes. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, is that my favorite portrayal? No. But he's... I don't know why my brain lashed onto this. Oh, it's because it's a water thing. It's an, yeah. it's another scary water thing is if, what my brain went to well, Danny DeVito. Well, if you returns. hadn't seen The Penguin before and, you, and we were talking about The Drowned and I showed you a picture of Danny DeVito and I said... Here's a picture of a scary mutant drowned man. You would believe me. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, but th- th- in Pirates of the Caribbean, they do you know, and it's easy to knock on them because they're like I said, a million dollar, a billion dollar cottage industry. They don't give a fuck what I say about anything. Yeah. But <laughs> separate from that, it could have been actually scary. But certainly the corporate committees of Disney and beyond said, like, well, if we really scare the kids, you know, like we did through all of the early early and mid-20th century, through all of our movies originally that were absolutely fucking terrifying because we used to actually make good content, 
<laughs> we might get fewer dollars back over the long term. Yeah. It will be harder to make action figures that we can put in Walmart that will get discounted to six ninety nine. Yeah. And yeah, no, yeah, we get it. You're a cancer that must grow indefinitely. But just make it actually scary. They're undead pirate monsters. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> um in a big monster showdown, I would like to see the drown go up against extraterrestrials because it's two kind of opposite alien worlds. Deep sea and deep space would be huh. interesting to do if you could have like a Hellraiser sequel in space situation where you bring the drown into space or something like that. Yeah. Huh. No, that's interesting. Yeah. I kind of, I'm trying to think about the parallel story elements of because this this whole like deep sea zombie thing and the way it kind of mirrors the Freddy Krueger story makes me it's like if you take the what's in the center of the Venn diagram about those two things there's something there's kind of like how we feel about vengeance yeah like if you do if you did a Venn diagram with like Freddy Krueger and the poltergeists and poltergeists that are sad about their Indian burial ground, or no, no, their regular human suburban burial ground, and um, and then these drowned zombies. It's kind of it's like the the way that the undead come at us in film. It, you know, if we count Freddy Krueger as essentially kind of like an undead tulpa. Yeah, I would count um, Freddy Krueger with like as undead. Ch- chimeric powers. Yeah. Chimeric powers. Um, that, you know, it's the overlap is really that in order to bring yourself back into reality, vengeance is like the only emotion sufficient to yeah. energize you back into the the material plane on some level. Yeah. And I mean, that, and that's very interesting, you know, like the because I, I think it me I think the the reason that vengeance holds so much um, powerful space in our culture is one we're we're always doing bad things and we're worried about other people's vengeance yeah <laughs> um, just being a person makes you think like oh no will i suffer the vengeance yeah. and, t- and and like both culturally and individually and then also too, like if something really, really gnarly happens to me, will I have some kind of like karmic mechanism to, to lay on to other people? Yeah. Because it, like in those three examples, you know, there's the in in poltergeist, there's a taboo of quote unquote the Christian burial that we've had in for centuries in you know in quote unquote Western speaking worlds. Yeah. And then, oddly enough, Freddy Krueger is. Um, an instance of he's a fucking child murderer yeah. in parentheses not a child molester end of parentheses but a child murderer who's who's activated by communal vengeance yeah um, it's the the anger the anxiety that boomers have about their offspring gets turned into the um, the the juice of Revenge, double revenge. Like they take yeah. revenge on him, and then their revenge gets catalyzed into something cancerous and malevolent that turns into the supernatural version of Freddy that's able to yeah. access their fucking minds. Yeah. And and then in the case that you're talking about is 
is people that were othered because they were suffering from a malady that they had no control over in being lepers. And they're probably like, you know, just trying to fucking make it, making it, making a way in the world today with, (laughs) with, with every sword and, and ship that I've got. Takes everything I I brought. (laughs) Right. And try, I'm trying to find some place just to land my damn ship full of lepers where I could be left alone. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, unfortunately I, I landed in, uh, California, which has no, no tolerant people in it whatsoever. And they're going to wreck my ship full of lepers. And then we're all going to, we're all going to kind of like stew at the bottom of the ocean. Um, uh, while surfers do laps over yeah. us for the next like hundred years until it's time to come back and fuck up some hot women with very nice dresses. Yeah. Oh, I forgot to mention that there was a real shipwreck that um, from Goleta, California, that John Carpenter kind of took it from, and the shipwreck was also mm. done on purpose, and it was to get gold from like gold rush people. It was the ship was called mm. the Frolic. That is the kind of thing you nail a sh- you name a ship. Yeah. You know what kind of real shipwreck problems I have. <laughs> you have some serious <laughs> ass shipwreck problems. That's, okay. That that we missing any? In. I don't. I mean, it's your topic. I don't want to miss anything that you've got. If you want to jump, uh, in, if you want to like knock around a, speci- a subject. No, I just think it's really uh, scary to imagine being one of the drowned. Huh, okay. Because you, it, you had to have been drowned, and you're also continually being drowned, and no amount of huh. vengeance seems to alleviate it. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I will say, drowned is, uh, yeah, it's in my top three, like, no thanks, yeah. um, of, <laughs> of deaths. Yeah. And, you know, I don't, yeah, I don't think about it that way. I mean, I mean kind of, because to me, it's like... I feel like you would just, I don't know, it seems my experience of imagining being that character is you would get, you'd get over it pretty quick and this would just be like, (laughs) oh, this is just fucking Tuesday. Uh, You know, like, they don't seem that perturbed, I guess, you know what I mean? They're not down there, they're not down there, like, trying to, to find some way out of it. They're not rending their 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 clothes and gnashing their teeth are just like yeah you know I commit vengeance because like you know I have an overwhelming anxiety that causes me to seek it at all times yeah. but <laughs> well, it, I don't, that, it hurts to be dead you know kind of thing well that's might be extra scary because that's not how they act but it might be how they feel I don't know uh, <laughs> well that's a whole thing right yeah. there yeah no <laughs> that, that that if they have a if they have a cognitive disconnect, the, if the the engine of all of these these like the who lives in our Venn di- our vengeance Venn diagram, yeah, our vengeance diagram. Oh my god! I can't <laughs> I'm sorry. You're welcome. I'm welcome. You're sorry. <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, well, that yeah. Between like you know our current examples of like. The the poltergeist souls and Freddy the Tulpa and the drowned zombies. Yeah. Oh my! Oh my God! I set up something and I didn't know what my point was going to be. <laughs> uh, is the the over the uh, if you say, if you include the thought technology that the perf, the perf, 
the performance that they give off on the outside does not indicate their internal experience and that yeah. they are actually having a vast internal experience separate from their like demeanor undead expression yeah that is vastly more conceptually upsetting yeah <laughs> to me and i wish you had not introduced it <laughs> because that that is like a that's a hypnagogic going to sleep well can't can't think of can't stop thinking about this anymore thought <laughs> Um, also, um, back to D&D, uh, I see that they're abyssal, so, like, right. they're not just undead, they're from, they're aberrant, they're from another world. Like, their corpse is from, from the pl prime material plane, but their, like, mode of essence is abyssal. Right. Yeah. And if we do include this in the show, we should probably give, like, a... Because we shouldn't assume that everyone who's listening to our crunch time segment actually knows what we're talking about. Yeah. But in in Dungeons and Dragons, specifically, there are different worlds. Yeah. And different creatures are from different worlds. And if you're abyssal, it means you're from uh, the abyss. The abyss. <laughs> which is it's not hell. It's just it's an it's a separate awful dark place where only the worst awful dark things um, originate. Yeah. Uh, it is. It has overlapping layers with the Cthulhu mythos. Yeah. And things that are essentially alien and unknowable, which I think is very indicative of how we relate to not... These aren't just zombies. They're abyssal. Yeah. And... And that indicates that like like something from space or like something like Cthulhu that is so old that it is essentially beyond our ability to grasp it as little, like, monkey people. Yeah. That um, <laughs> it is extra-dimensional, that it is, it is just yeah. on a level of reality that is separate from us. Yeah, it's... And I think that, like... That makes sense for all the things we're talking about. Like yeah. when we talk about the souls of an ancient Indian burial ground, or you know Freddy Krueger becoming a tulpa, or yeah. the the Candyman turning into the Candyman based off of the circumstances of the intense vengeance created by his oppression and death. Yeah, these like vengeance revenants. Yeah, they just are so miserable that their misery turns in turns them into something otherworldly. It's not only undead. Yeah. It's vastly worse. Yeah. It's it's become its own um, dimension in hatred. Yeah, right. That it's kind of, you know, it if 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 Pinhead and Hellraiser weren't expressly in hell, yeah. then it would be more interesting to say that they're abyssal. Right, if it, if it wasn't so specifically depicted that they're from hell. Well, the would first one says that they're angels to some right. demons. Right, but, but then you get into Hellraiser 2 and, and they're then, specifically like yeah, walking Yeah, and then they're specifically in hell. Those are the sequels, so... <laughs> but the point is, I think it's it's interesting that, like, by the, the mechanics of being in the ocean that is, is so alien. Yeah. And then also adding in this, that special sauce of vengeance. Yeah. Means that they're not just undead. They're, they're unknowable to human beings because if you're from the abyssal realm, you are just absolutely alien. Yeah. You are, you are like, you are like an unto 
Cthulhu and and things from that world where we will never properly understand you, which yeah. is like that's that's above and beyond. Yeah. Oh shit! We're gonna freak, we have to do uh, <laughs> we have to do we have to do um, uh, who's who's he butts it? Uh, okay, Carla, get it together. Uh, we have to do. Um, What's his name? Nick Cave. Oh, Nick Cave. Yeah, let's look at Nick Cave. (laughs) (laughs) So are you seeing this? It's like him from like the crotch up. Yeah. And he's got like, he's got like wide open hands akimbo. He's kind of looking off to the right at the photographers. Yeah. He's wearing like a okay. Uh, <laughs> it says like Gucci and Art and Phil. Yeah. It's like a LACMA thing. Well, all right. I'm looking at this and I'm kind of like, my first thought is, why did they give the the role of the Joker to Joaquin Phoenix? <laughs> yeah. yeah. What is up with that? Oh wow. You can't have an Australian Joker. Wow, Nick Cave Joker is <laughs> is something that because he's definitely he definitely knows irony. Uh, yeah, and he could definitely do really good, like, oh no, this is going to go poorly for everyone, freak out scenes. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, I don't know how he is as an actor. I'm not, I'm not that familiar with him being on screen. I have to say, uh, he's in- I literally, I literally don't know what his non-singing voice sounds like. He might sound like Russell Crowe in 1992 for all I know. He was in, um, the assassination of... Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Um, oh, but, I saw that. But he was I... singing, <laughs> right? Yeah. Because like he's a fucking he's a fucking Aussie. He doesn't sound. I mean, yeah. nobody sounds like how they sing. Yeah. Well, and he's like, <laughs> when he's singing, he his his ver, his vernacular or his accent when he's singing. Yeah. Is it? He's doing an. He's doing a gospel Southern American. Yeah. Like murder ballad thing that is a it's not his inherent accent because he's fucking Australian. Yeah, he's also directed um, a couple of movies. No, yeah, I, from my understanding, he's a pretty good fucking director, actually. Yeah, but he he looks like he's saying, um, "I here is the here is the Nick Cave." Here he is. Yeah, that's what I would here, I, I would say. He's thinking. I have descended among the people of the red carpet, and now it's time for the adoration, but I'm quite anxious, although calm, to get to the point. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to... Here is your ten seconds yeah. to document the Nick Cave, and then I am going to... I don't know what Nick Cave does. And then I'm going to, to quietly show. sit and just, like, radiate my Nick Caveness. I'm going to I'm count <laughs> all of the. I'm going to sit down in the awards show and count all of the baby octopuses that I have hidden in the lapel of my jacket. I'm the most humble living god. <laughs> uh. <laughs> you know, you know the character of Wednesday from American Gods. That's actually me. It's and, me. Uh, you're welcome because it's not going to rain tomorrow. It's me. <laughs> It's, 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 it's me. Um, if you, the amount that I'm like starting to stare at his, from his like open shirt 
to his forehead. <laughs> he starts to take on like a like a like a broken video game kind of <laughs> shape. He's just a weirdly shaped guy. <laughs> he's got a lot. He's got a lot of neck. He's got he's, the. He's got a. He's got an as much neck as like a Monster Factory McElroy video character. We're like we're doing. We're doing. We're taking the neck sliders all the way to the top. I've got all of the neck in my character creation. <laughs> yes, which I went got, through. I got forty-eight phases. hit points, and and thirty-nine of them are just all neck. There's there's music when there is no music. Hada, like <laughs> immune to all non-neck related attacks. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's <laughs> he's definitely happy to be there. <laughs> I mean, the gesture also kind of feels like. So, uh, where's your, where's your Romans and your nails? I, I'm kind of, I was hoping to hang from something. Yeah, I've, <laughs> I've, I've expected something and gotten half yeah. of it. I've been looking, for, I've been stagging around LA looking for the set of Stigmata for the last 28 <laughs> years. Do you guys know where that is? Why was there a subway in Pittsburgh? <laughs> like... Jeff Goldblum is around here somewhere, yeah. and he stole my glasses. I need, I'm looking for Jeff Goldblum mm-hmm. for for reasons that could never be explained. I was hiding inside his piano for a month and a half, and I have some very, very specific questions to ask yeah. him. Oh. Yeah, I found Jeff Goldblum's cat in Glendale, and it's very important I get it to him soon because I think it needs some shots. And <laughs> yeah, I, I, I found, don't. I, no, wait. I found Jeff Goldblum's cat, but now I've lost it. <laughs> have you seen a cat? Have you seen the cat? Uh, <laughs> have you seen a very ironic cat that says "uh" every other word? Yeah. I found Jeff Goldblum's cat, and I fear that it may be him. <laughs> I, I, fe- I fear that Jeff Goldblum's cat that has undergone a spell and trapped his personality and or soul inside of it is roaming around this awards show and and, and may accidentally be killed by, by a secret wizard. Yeah, have, if, if you, have you seen if it? You see, I'm wondering why you think that question is weird. If you see a cat with a very unnatural method of speaking, <laughs> I, I need you to offer it a martini and a bar stool, but do not attempt to apprehend it. <laughs> Find, put it in, offer it a, a seat inside of a fedora or a trilby. I'm searching for answers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I cannot be blamed for any actions, any subsequent actions after the Jeff Goldblum cat left my immediate vicinity. Yeah, where, where, where would you think it would be? Because it would okay. be, it existed completely in metaphor. Why? Yeah. It, the, you don't ask where, you ask why. <laughs> it is a Schrodinger's Jeff Goldblum at this point. Let's pretend it never happened. 
Just uh, just as I just assume I said nothing. Enjoy your champagne. Let's get on. Here is my picture, um, as if a musical note hit, but it didn't. If <laughs> in an alternate reality where we decide that there was a Jeff Goldblum cat, I will write a very sad song about it, and you will not give me a Grammy. I get it. It's fine. Dung dung. <laughs> There's a cat and a when and the cat and Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> <laughs> and the cat licked the gin off the bar so slow. <laughs> Posed with a vase and a tulip. <laughs> and I laid the milk on the piano next to the road. Intersections in my soul of cats and f- fresh kisses. Careful not to become Nick Cave. There already is one. We don't need more Nick Caves. Yeah, the amount of songs about drowning women yeah. while drinking bourbon. We've hit our quota for the 20th and 21st century. And it will stare Thank back you. into you. <laughs> yeah, somebody tried to up the quota. It was His name was Chris from Savage Garden. <laughs> Savage Garden. His name was Chris. His name was Chris from Stabbing Westward, and uh, it turned out you're, you're not allowed to do it while wearing a pleather jacket. You have to you have to do what, do it while wearing a three piece suit. He broke the rules. He does not get into the club. How can I exist without you? How can I exist without I you? I don't know what's real without you. Cry, fly, die. <laughs> So that brings us to the end of our time with you, dear reader, until we bring you another batch of beasts, bullywugs, and bowls of flesh-eating dessert fluff. This has been Oops, All Monsters. Oops, All Monsters. (laughs) Oops, All Monsters. Oops, All Monsters. Uh, (laughs) Okay, I'm going to stop. All right, and close. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, we cannot make this show two uncles screaming about Star Wars. I know. <laughs> <laughs> or we will... The, the, certainly that show already exists, and somebody's doing it better than we are. Oh, there's uh, yeah, there's plenty of them. Yeah. Um... Snotty. Oh, He's like arrogant I... in his mystery, and it's not hard to make mystery. All you have to do is not <laughs> say something. Yes, it's not hard to make mystery if you never have to solve the fucking mystery. Yeah, like I can, I can sit here and write goddamn Sherlock Holmes novels every day if I never had to figure out whether it was, the hound was yeah. actually a hound or whether it was a yeah. dog covered in fucking phosphorescent gel. Yeah, if you know, I didn't actually have to tell you what happened, I could, I could be fucking Arthur Conan Doyle. Yeah, with a if if you goddamn pipe shoved up you my just, butt, it would take no effort whatsoever. It's just typing. Yeah, offer up a, an introduction into a world and never write the world it's not a mystery that's just bad writing <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Oh, it makes me feel so infuriated. infuriated. It's, yeah. I can introduce you to 50,000 interesting worlds and never write them. Flames. <laughs> flames on the side of my face. <laughs> anyway. Uh, okay, I think I think we got both of our topics there.